Welcome back, Action Alerts Plus subscribers and AAP podcast listeners. Chris Versace here. And as you know, from time to time, we like to share the conversations that we're having with companies that are on our radar screen, that they might fit into the competitive landscape for companies that we're looking at. They might be suppliers and all of that. And you know, from time to time, we find some real gems in these conversations. And with that in mind, uh, please enjoy the conversation that I'm about to have with Dave Holman, CEO of White's Stone REIT, ticker symbol WSR. Now, Dave, um, thank you for joining me. I want to have a, a great conversation with you about Whitestone REIT, um, but I want to point out that not only you are you the CEO, but you've been with the company since 2006, first in the role of CFO, now CEO. Sounds to me like, Dave, you know uh, what the company does, how it does it, and where it makes its money probably better than most. Well, well, first of all, Chris, thanks for, for having me today. It's a pleasure to be with you and uh, uh, excited to, to share with you and some of your listeners a little bit more about Whitestone REIT. As you said, I have been with the company for, oh goodness, 17 years now, 15 years of those as CFO and the last two as CEO. So uh, a real pleasure to be with you and excited about uh, sharing some of the, the great stuff about Whitestone REIT. Well, the reason, Dave, I brought that up, your your history with the company is, you know, sometimes CEOs are in for a prolonged period of time, um, you know, but not all members of management team might have gone through, you know, the financial crisis. But you were in uh, Whitestone, right, CFO role of 06. So you experienced that downturn. And I have to think that it's kind of seasoned you for this much talked about, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't recession that people are talking about. So I, I'm just kind of curious, you know, how, how does that experience kind of uh, prepare you for what you're seeing unfold in the economy? Uh, great question. I think obviously uh, with the gray hair comes some experience, uh, some lessons learned. And so uh, I think, as you said, I've been through a number of economic cycles and one of the things we've done at Whitestone is really tried to build a platform that is very nimble, very able to react to a less static environment. It feels like to me today, the uh, many things in the world are moving at a quicker pace than they ever have. Uh, and so one of the things we've done at Whitestone is, is try to, to build a platform that not only does well in thriving times, but also does, you know, does relatively well in times of, of stress as well. Uh, you know, the coming quarters and years, what they will bring, I think we're all we're all uh, kind of projecting on that. It's really an unusual time for me and that many of the normal indicators are are not performing as they have. We continue to see uh, jobs be <laughs> be tough to fill uh, and the, you know, the rising in interest rates haven't haven't dampened the economy as much as any of us think yet. So but I think one thing I've learned is uh, really listen to your customer. Uh, we'll share some things about that that Whitestone does, and use use data. I think you mentioned Chris. My my time as a CFO mm -hmm. has taught me to very much appreciate uh, data and information. Uh, and I think at Whitestone we try to do all of those things to ground our decisions, be able to act nimbly and quickly, but do that with a solid base of data and facts. So let me before we you know go down the litany of questions that I have, <laughs> let me, you said something in there that really jumped out at me, which was you mentioned being um, nimble, but you mentioned performing in good times, essentially and in bad. Has that shifted the the tenant mix at all? 
compared to say, you know, the lat, you know, what it is today compared to you know, maybe 10, maybe 15 years ago? Sure. I think uh, consumer needs continue to evolve. And if you don't recognize that, I think you're in a lot of trouble. Uh, early on, Whitestone saw the impact of, of online shopping and, and e-commerce on retail. Uh, many people pronounced that, that bricks and mortar retail was dead several years ago. So early on, we pivoted to uh, much more of a service-based tenant base. Uh, we have, uh, you know, a lot of our of our focus is on convenience uh, for consumers. We operate uh, open-air neighborhood shopping centers, really that are embedded within communities, and so the the consumer needs have continued to to evolve over the years. Early on, we focused on. Uh, tenants that were less impacted by online e-commerce uh, services. And then we've continued to see shifts coming out of the pandemic where people are spending more time in their homes, their activities orbit around their homes. So we see, you know, we see a focus on health and wellness continuing to grow. Uh, we see an aging population where many medical needs continue to be important. So as I said, uh, I think we try to do a lot of work internally of understanding consumer needs and making sure that we're being proactive in filling our centers with, with tenants that meet the surrounding community. Ultimately, that's the need we're trying to solve for, is are we providing uh, the, for the needs of the surrounding community? Okay. So, you know, you came to Whitestone in uh, 2006. And just generally speaking, there's a lot of REIT strategies out there, right? Um, and a lot of investors like REITs because of the, uh, the nature of what they are and the dividend income that they offer. But what was it about Whitestone that attracted you? Because Dave, you didn't come from the industry. You, you came from an electric utility, if I remember correctly. <laughs> That, that's right. So I am a, uh, I guess I would say I'm a real estate guy now because I've been doing it for the last 17 years. But my background has really been with with uh, public companies that, that that grew pretty rapidly. So I spent some time in the in the deregulated electricity market in Texas. I spent time in the wireless industry. Uh, so my background was, you know, putting together structure and and being uh, able to grow a company very quickly and successfully. So when I came to Whitestone, uh, loved the fundamental concept. It was very small. We were a, a little Houston-based real estate company with probably 150 million in eclectic assets. Today we've got about a billion and a half in really pure play neighborhood shopping center, open air real estate, and some of the fastest and best communities in the Sun Belt. Uh, so what what drew me to to Whitestone was an opportunity to do what I love to do, which is, is, is grow businesses. And you can grow uh, in a lot of ways. You can grow through acquisitions. You can grow through uh, really strengthening your team. You can grow a lot, a lot of different aspects of growth. So that, that's what uh, attracted me to Whitestone was the ability to kind of to grow a business. And, and when you say that, just going back to my question, again, there's a lot of areas in the commercial real estate market, what what is it about this open air retail centers that you that you ultimately became that attracted you? Sure. So uh, I do think you know people today kind of lump commercial real estate into to one bucket in the headlines. They do. They uh, do. But it is absolutely there are different aspects. So one of the things that attracted me to Whitestone were kind of a couple of fundamental trends. First of all, a strong belief in the geography 
of the Sun Belt and the growth. Uh, if you look at the markets that Whitestone is in, uh, you know, Dallas, Houston, Phoenix, Austin, I think those four ranked number one through four in terms of the greatest number of, of resident growth between 2019 and 2022. So fundamentally, uh, we're in the right markets. And then the, the second trend I've seen is uh, people continue businesses look for ways to operate their businesses more efficiently, uh, potentially greater automation and less need for, for square footage from a space perspective. So what Whitestone has done is we've focused on the size of spaces where you see the most demand for new businesses. And that tends to be that 2,000 to 3,000 square foot space. If you roll back a number of years, uh, there were many REITs in our space that filled up centers with big box, hard goods, retailers, uh, and they worked to keep their expenses low. Uh, and, you know, there was some success in this strategy in a more static world. Um, many of those REITs signed long-term leases with those tenants and, and, you know, portrayed that as a very much a safety investment. I think if you roll forward 15 years and you wake up and you've got <clears throat> Bed Bath & Beyond and Toys R Us, in your spaces, it's a different world. So, so what separates Whitestone is our belief that, that our active management is going to outperform, you know, what's kind of been a sleepy asset class in, in, in REITs. So we believe that, you know, by knowing the surrounding neighborhoods, using uh, tools like, like Placer AI, I can talk to you a little bit about that in a second, but uh, trying to proactively populate centers with, with the right mix of tenants. Tenants that help each other's businesses, tenants that meet the community, tenants that provide uh, services that are, you know, growing, not shrinking. Uh, we believe that that focus will, will allow us to grow, you know, organically much quicker than others. So I think all those things are the the canvas that attracted me. That's all right. That's all right. I was just going to say that um, looks like we had a quick technical interruption, but you were saying that. Um, really focused on the mix of tenants that help the community help other tenants. It, it sounds to me like you're really um, looking for those that uh, don't conflict with each other, probably have a high uh, repeat rate of visits, right? Those those sort of um, dynamics. Yes? Yes, that's exactly right. And it's it's even stronger than don't conflict. It's interesting tenants that, that help each other. I think of a uh, a golf store we have in, in Scottsdale, Arizona, uh, who does a lot of custom clubs that are you know high end and very expensive. Uh, one of the suggestions they had was it would be great to have a sports medicine physician in the center because a lot of our customers tend to be older, older gentlemen <laughs> or ladies that, that have have aching bones. And so we did that. And that's been a great compliment. <laughs> it's helped. Uh, I've got a doctor's appointment. I'll stop by and look at some clubs. So looking for for tenants that drive traffic. Uh, and that also are are very complementary is important. Is there is there any type of tenant that you would shy away from? And, and I ask this because, you know, you, you mentioned the square foot the square footage that you're coming down to, but we're also noticing that a lot of other retailers are trying to figure out how to work within smaller frameworks, e even um, quick service restaurants. Mm -hmm. You know, I was just reading an article over the weekend that um, the amount of people, the percentage of people that dine in in quick service restaurants is around 10, 11% down from 14, 15% a few years ago and you know, significantly lower than in the past. So, you know, are, is there anything that's off limits for you guys, I guess? 
Yeah, there, there, there is obviously uh, just from a from kind of the highest level. Um, we we look for tenants that contribute to the center and don't just draw. So we do like tenants that provide traffic. Obviously, there are uses, um, you know, uh, uh, vaping and different uses that are that are of a lower level for a, a quality center that we try not to to go to, but. Uh, Traditionally, you're just looking for tenants that meet the needs of the community, uh, and that means you understand, you know, what does the community surrounding the property look like? Does it have a lot of families? If it has a lot of families, there's probably some need for after-school education or entertainment activities. So, you know, there there's a there are businesses that we just don't think are are, are supportive and and build up a community, but but in general, it's just looking for tenants that that meet the needs. Uh, meet the desires of the surrounding community. Got it. Got it. And in order to have this type of um, evolving mix, because as, as you mentioned, you guys listen to the data, you look at the changing needs of the community. What What's the average, um, you know, lease time per tenant? Is it is it short? Is it on the shorter end as a result? So you have greater flexibility. It, it is. It varies from, um, you know, from use. Obviously, if you're you're dealing with a grocery store, they will need a, a much longer time. But really one of the, the unique aspects of Whitestone is we've always preferred shorter leases. Uh, our lease term, average lease term, I think is about four years. Uh, typical lease would be, you know, the three to five years. We like that because we like the ability uh, to, to meet, to, to sync up with the tenant regularly, right? If the, if the tenant's business is doing great, uh, you know, we're happy with that. It's a win-win for both of us. We're able to adjust the rental rates appropriately. If the tenant's business is, is suffering, we'd rather try to help them, maybe put them in a different space. So we like shorter lease terms because it act, helps us to actively engage with the tenant. And we like that in, in good and bad times. You know, in times when things are difficult, I believe that active management of real estate will ultimately result in a, a better product. You can't just close your eyes and have long-term leases and think things are going to be great. I think right. you've got to get in and work with the businesses and help them succeed. And and from that, we both succeed. Okay. So exiting the June quarter, which I think you guys reported uh, recently, let's say, you had about 56 uh, retail centers. And, you know, just given what you said about a preference for on average three to five years, you know, roughly how many, how many storefronts kind of renew each year? on average. Yeah, so so uh, one of the fun things we do is we, uh, I think one of our taglines is helping, you know, uh, businesses create the American dream. And we, we take that, we love that. And with that, uh, and our three to five year leases, typically every year we're, we're renewing about 20% of our tenant base. We have 1,500 approximately clients or tenants. So we are, you know, renewing about 300 leases a year or, or one a day. And we have a, one of the things we have at, at Whitestone, we have a, a nice, small, very efficient team. There's about 75 people. We are, I think you mentioned earlier, we're, we're traded on the NYSE. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're a, we're a, a smaller on the REIT size. We're about a half billion dollar equity market cap with 75 employees and a, a very much hands-on model uh, with the smaller tenants, shorter leases, and about 20% of our leases renewing every year. 
Okay. And I think I saw in your earnings deck that the, and I'm going to, I'm going to get specific here. The net <laughs> effective annual base rental revenue per lease square foot was up 4.9% uh, year over year in the quarter. I think around 2278, something like that is what you guys said. Now that 4.9%, is that, is that stronger than it's been? Or is that a little weaker than it's been? How does that compare to the last several quarters, that year-over-year growth rate in yeah. pricing? Yeah. Uh, so the the net effective annual base rent is the is just the the base rent that we charge a tenant annually. Uh, our our lease structures also have recoupment of our expenses in a property. So a tenant would pay us a base rent plus their share of the the expenses for for landscaping and taxes and insurance at the property. Uh, in the most recent quarter, we reported that that annual base rent had increased about five percent. That is very very strong. We've had um, we've had good increases in our annual base rent over the history of the company, but I would tell you right now, fundamentally, our occupancy is probably the highest level it's been. Our average base rent is increase is one of the highest years we've ever had and we're we're seeing um the the renewals be very strong as well so to your question about the abr uh five percent is, is very healthy and probably a little faster than we've had historically is it and i'm just curious about this because you mentioned at the top that you're you're in the top four markets for population growth which probably means the top four markets for job growth or something close to that um, I, I would think that that means the ability to sustain the pricing level is probably pretty good. No, it, it, it is good right now. It, it's good. Um, I think it's important to uh, to 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 obviously be be nimble. As I said before, it's great right now. Fundamentally, the trends of limited supply, uh, migration, population, job growth are all going in our favor right now, and so. Uh, for us as an operator, we want to make sure that we provide a great home for businesses that are survive that are doing well. Uh, but but it is it is a, a good a good backdrop right now for us in the markets we're in. Okay, okay. And you know, in other industries, people talk about um, you know backlog, right? As a as something that gives you visibility. So for you, you you have the sort of the equivalent in the sense that as you move through the year. You know, you're renewing your leases. You you have a good visibility on that. But but there's also this other aspect to growth, right? I mentioned earlier, 56 locations. Um, you mentioned yourself that you like to grow. Mm -hmm. So um, you know, and there's you know there is growth by acquisition. There's organic growth, and and I just want to tackle some of that a little bit. Um, but first first of all, you said you're a team of 75. So that team of 75, how many more properties do you think you could get to? Yeah, so so we are uh, 75 people. Uh, that makes up you know your traditional headquarters kind of legal, finance, HR functions. Mm -hmm. Those functions are are scalable over probably double our property size. So if you look at our executive team, if you look at our legal infrastructure, our finance infrastructure for being a public company, you know all of that probably makes up half of our headcount. That's pretty well fixed. And then beyond that, we would just add a, a property manager or a leasing agent as needed. Uh, so one of the, the benefits of what we do, uh, very targeted geographically, uh, many of our peers are, are spread out across the country into many markets. We have five markets. In those markets, we have 
people on the ground and we have the ab ab ability to add uh, properties with really minimal increases in our cost structure. So you might add, you know, two or three or four new properties. Our average property is 100,000 square feet, maybe 20 tenants in that property. So you could add three or four properties and need to add maybe one property manager. So a really scalable business. Obviously, uh, I mentioned I love growth and continuing <laughs> to grow, but this is a this is a business that uh, if you if you crack the code on the growth, it can be uh, very very uh, profitable. But do do you worry at all about being um, that's the word I'm looking for? Uh, having uh, kind of boxing yourself out a little bit in a particular market, or or overly over being overly dense in a particular MSA, is is, is that a risk at all? Uh, sure, I do think uh, I think one of the things we focus on is is diversifying our risk, right? So I mentioned uh, 1,500 tenants. Our mm -hmm. largest tenant is about two and a half percent of our revenue. Uh, so I would say the same thing from a market perspective is. I do think it's one of the unique aspects, not unique, but one of the things you see in, uh, as you know, in, in markets is there's sub-markets that have different characteristics. So if you look at an MSA like like Phoenix, for instance, uh, we've spent a lot of time in the kind of the East Quadrant, which is Scottsdale and Gilbert Chandler, Mesa, areas that are really growing. So we do look at concentration uh, and uh, I think ideally we would, uh, you know, enter new markets as part of our growth plan in the future. But right now we do have a lot of, of room for growth, specifically in our in our Dallas and Austin markets. Our, our Phoenix market is about 40% of our of our our property NOI, uh, and our Houston market is about 25%, and the balance is in in Dallas and Austin. Uh, so you do, you do, I do think it's important to continue to to uh, diversify your risk from a market perspective, from a tenant perspective, and we are always thoughtful of that. So uh, with that, would you keep the same um, drivers that you mentioned a second ago, right? Where it was everything from uh, population change to um, migration patterns, job growth, are those the sort of factors that would lead you to decide, hey, th this is our next geographic area? Yeah, I think largely um, Green Street, who's very, uh, who does a lot of research in our space, has what they call a, a TAP score, which I think stands for their trade area power score. Uh, that trade our area power score looks at income, population, education, and cost of living really to create a common metric to gauge real estate demand for strip centers across the US. I think that's a good kind of indicator. Mm -hmm. uh, Green Street recently scored our portfolio and I believe we were in the top, you know, the top third of all the, the public REITs from a, a TAP score. So, so really look at a lot of the drivers. We do like, uh, one of the things we like is uh, we love uh, proximity to, to schools. Uh, if you think about our product and our neighborhoods and think about parents and, and families uh, and, and frequency of, of visits. So we, we have a lot of centers located you know, pretty close to high schools. And then a, a, you know, education and cost of living are also a big factor, I think, that we look at in our markets. Got it. Okay. And in terms of building versus buying, because you guys have picked up some other properties. I think you you closed one not too long ago that you pulled in. But in terms of building, I, I'm just curious about this because, you know, we are seeing um, 
concerns about the number of construction workers that are out there. Obviously, if you have to build a center, you need construction workers. You know, so there seems to be a little bit of a shortage. And at the same time, we're seeing a, a real boom in non-residential construction, which would speak to some of what you're doing. But also, there's that that infrastructure bill that we're seeing, the Chips Act. So, you know, is it possible? And again, I'm I'm just trying to you know uh, piece this together a little bit with your help, Dave. You know, is it possible you might lean a little more towards buying properties in the near term, just because the timetable to build a new property might get stretched out? Or am I wrong on that? No, I, I think you're 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 generally right. If you think about about cycles, there's probably a good time to to build and a good and a better time to buy. Uh, right now, my belief would be uh, that for for Whitestone, we're better off maybe looking for a property that's got a an opportunity where we buy and then apply our our model of either renovating or retenanting or changing the center. So. Uh, for us, there are, you know, right now the the development cycle uh, capital for development in in real estate is 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 generally a little tougher today. So, but so we we generally prefer to build. I'm sorry, to buy. Uh, we generally prefer to buy and then apply our model. What we do like to do is we'll buy a center that's maybe a hundred thousand square feet, has a large parking field, and we love to build pad sites for mm-hmm. maybe a Starbucks. Or one of the interesting ones we've seen recently is a, a company called Swig, S-W-I-G, which is uh, basically a, a, a company that provides beverages. You think about mixology with non-alcoholic mixology. So Swig provides uh, caffeinated drinks, uh, lots of, of soda-based products where you can mix with all kinds of fun things. So we've seen Swig come in and do do pad sites. We've seen uh, Dutch Brothers Coffee. America's love for caffeine continues, uh, but we do like to we like we like to we like to buy, but then we love to uh, maybe add, build a little bit of real estate to existing real estate. I am laughing because right before we got on, I saw you take a hefty swig out of a Starbucks cup. <laughs> of a big uh, big Coke Zero. <laughs> oh, real? Oh, interesting. interesting. It's in a Starbucks Coke, but it's a Coke Zero. That's all right. That's I. There's there. There's no judging here. So just, just getting just just getting back to that. I just curious on, on your experience, right? Because we have seen um, interest rates have obviously ticked higher. Uh, you know, we'll we'll see if the Fed is done or not. But you know, my my suspicion is that the Whitestone's leaning into this uh, you know buy and uh, rehab, if you will probably makes a little more sense just because the cost of capital to borrow and to construct are, are probably, I, I won't say cost prohibitive, but it certainly has to increase the hurdle rate that you're looking at. That, that, that's right. I mean, there will there will be a time, though I think one of the things I mentioned was uh, the, the lack of supply in our markets. So you are going to see a time where there's a, a shift back into in our markets, building some more outdoor, well-located retail centers. Uh, but but today we do believe that the, the the cost return the our model fits better with buying centers. We'd love to, and what we always look for are centers that we can really turn around. What I will tell you today is that those are hard to find because at our markets most of the retail is is performing very well, right? If you think about the the the, the market trends I've talked about about migration and supply, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of stressed uh, neighborhood shopping centers. There are stressed malls and there are stressed power centers, but really well-located 
smaller centers, you know, in neighborhoods, most of those are doing okay today. So what Whitestone is looking for today is really centers that probably the value add is more from a, a re-merchandising or retenanting mix. And then potentially with that, being able to move the rental rates up because you brought in kind of a different level of services. So we're not seeing, uh, we're not seeing neighborhood centers that are 50% occupied and, and have stress with the bank like you did maybe back in 2008, 2009. What we're seeing is, is, is maybe some, uh, some local owners that are a little tired of operating a center that they thought was going to be a, a passive investment and has become a little bit more of an active investment. Well, if you ever want to look in Northern Virginia, I could rattle off three or four that I would love to have you come in and take <laughs> over because there, there's there, there, there's a few that are exactly that, that they were okay. when all when the when this area was exploding, there was, you know, some people who were like, oh, I can run a town center. And it's yeah. horrible, absolutely horrible. Um, it, it, <laughs> it, it takes to your point, it takes the right mix of tenants um, and, it, it and takes it, the right mix of tenants. And it takes a. Uh, takes people on your team that that are actively involved in the community. One of the things I love about Whitestone and our team is we like to bring in in younger folks as well as to mix with different people of different ages. And so mm -hmm. I always enjoy the the younger folks that come into the company and have more interesting have interesting ideas of things that interest interest them. Swig was an example of one that uh, heard from some of our younger folks and, and we've seen. I, I was just going to say that, you know, not that I'm an old fuddy-duddy soon to be 55, <laughs> but I, I, I would think that if you're looking for the draw in the traffic, that you, you inherently have to skew at least a little younger to, to be on point with what's, uh, God, I hate to say this, hip or at least up and coming. <laughs> well, I, I just turned 60, so we're a couple uh, couple guys that are a little older talking about being hip, but this is this is scary. Yes, but it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> but I will so, tell so, you, yeah, no. I will tell you, it is it is important to me, and I think it's it's important that you continue to understand. You know, it's more important to look forward than to look backward, and that's one of the things we try to do is understand. You know, understand what's coming, uh, what's behind us is great, and provides a, a history and lessons. But uh, it is important, you know, through that research to understand where the consumer patterns are shifting. So, so with that, Dave, you know, you mentioned Swig, you mentioned, you know, pads and Starbucks, you mentioned Dutch Bros. Um, you know, uh, how, how do you keep tabs on the right types of tenants that you want to have or, or the tenants that you want to bring in that you may not have a lot of exposure to? Because that, that sounds like it's really important. Yeah, I, I think there's 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 not a lot of magic in that. I do believe it's it's hard work. Uh, so one of the things Whitestone does is we have all of our own leasing agents. We don't outsource our leasing. So we have uh, ladies and, and gentlemen that, that go find the right tenants. And one of the things we always ask them to do is underwrite that tenant as if it were a business. If it's a, if it's a yoga operator, uh, we ask the leasing agent, have you taken a yoga class with that, with that prospective tenant? So if it's a restaurant, have you had a meal there? So one of the things we try to do is we try to to try out the services. We look for businesses that have a track record. Uh, we're you know we're not the first stop for a lot of businesses, but we love being the second and third location for them. Uh, and then uh, and then we 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 also add to that data. So one of the things I mentioned earlier was Placer AI. Mm -hmm. uh, you may or may not be familiar with Placer, but but 
uh, it's a service that really tracks your phone uh, and provides a lot of data about traffic patterns and traffic levels. So we look for, you know, we look to understand uh, the, the, the tenants and what kind of traffic they're drawing and how long are people staying, what's the frequency, and all of those help you along with your local knowledge to, to assess whether a tenant is doing well. And then we, we spend time with that tenant. One thing throughout the pandemic, uh, Whitestone performed really at the top of all the public retail REITs uh, in terms of collection levels, uh, minimum tenant defaults. And we did that because our business has always been a bit more management intensive, working with the local tenants, not the not the regional director that's four states over from where the store is, but working with the local tenants. So uh, long answer, but maybe I got a couple pieces in there. No, no, you absolutely did. Now, now Dave, I began by talking about the REIT structure and folks liking REITs because of the dividend stream as an investor. Um, what is the dividend policy with Whitestone? Yeah, so Whitestone currently pays a monthly dividend. We're one of the few that actually pay a monthly dividend, which we like. Uh, this provides a, a, a little more compounded return. We currently pay a, a dividend that's just a little under 5% uh, based on the current stock price. And then quarterly, we evaluate our dividend level based on our, our, our cash flow and our growth. Uh, coming out of the pandemic, we, we set our dividend. And since then, I think we've raised it twice. Uh, currently, our dividend of just a little under 5% is approximately 60% of our cash flow. REITs are required to, to pay out a certain level of dividend you know, by the IRS. We're, we're meeting that. But I think one of the things that Whitestone offers uh, prospective investors is a very solid current dividend and the potential for a dividend increase as we, as we grow our, increase our rental rates, grow our NOI, and grow our profitability per share. We're, we're one of the uh, most conservatively, if you look at our dividend payout ratio versus mm -hmm. our profit versus dividend, I think we're one of the more conservative in the space. Uh, so we've got room to increase that. And we're uh, you know, committed to providing a return to investors, both in the form of share price increase and a solid dividend with potential for increases as well. Okay. And with that, Lat, just to follow up on that, um, a lot of folks talk about how they return capital to shareholders, to forms, dividends, stock repurchase. Is there a stock repurchase plan? We, we currently don't have a stock repurchase plan. I mean, I think Whitestone currently believes that uh, for us, there's ways we can provide a greater return to our shareholders with our capital than buying back our own shares. Uh, we'll evaluate that. We think through uh, bringing the right tenants in. I think I mentioned uh, mentioned continuing to build some of those pad sites. And then one of the things we've done over the last couple of years is really strengthen our balance sheet. Uh, we have a, a level of debt that we're very comfortable with, but is a little higher in the public than, than some in the public REIT world. So we've committed to strengthening the balance sheet by continuing to, to lower our debt level and we've done a great job of that over the last couple of years in, in bringing our, our debt metrics down substantially. So Excellent. Uh, Excellent. right now, don't have a purchase program. We'll evaluate it. We just believe there's 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 other ways that add, add greater value to our shareholders. Well, you know, Dave, you did say, I, I appreciate your consistency because you did say that the management team could probably double the number of uh, centers under site. To me, that sounds like a far greater opportunity than simply buying back shares. I, I think that's right. I think I, I think uh, 
you know, obviously our our focus is is on on shareholders, but right now we do believe that continuing to scale this great business and and grow, you know, really strongly organically, and then you know ultimately be able to grow externally is going to add a lot of value to current and prospective shareholders. Awesome, excellent, Dave. You've been so generous with your time today. Before we get out of here, is there anything that we didn't touch on that we should? Uh, not really. I've really appreciated time. I'm just, I'm kind of reminded of, uh, a book I read a bunch of years ago, <laughs> a bunch of years ago. Do you remember the book? Good to great. I do. Uh, yes. It, yeah. Yes. So there was just, there were, I think there were kind of three principles that have stuck with me over the years that I'll, I'll end with. And I think is, uh, what right Whitestone has tried to do is, and the first one was, you know, get the right people on board. So we have, uh, as a company, really believe we have a, a very good team and a commitment to getting the right people on board. Uh, the second thing I remember from that book was be brutally honest about your problems. Uh, we've done that. We'll continue to do that. So encourage you and any listeners to, to provide feedback to Whitestone. If you see our properties in your communities, if you're a shareholder, love to hear from you. And then the third one was, you know, make incremental changes. Real estate is not uh, is not tech. <laughs> this is a bit of a slow moving ship. So one of the things we've tried to do is is fix things that incrementally add up and are substantial. And so I believe in in making incremental changes. And so with that, those are kind of this my my thoughts that came to mind at the end of this are things that that get me up and drive me every day. Excellent, excellent. Dave Holman, CEO of Whitestone REIT. Thank you so much for your time. We'll hope to have you back in the future when you're maybe closer to maybe 75 or 100 locations. Sounds great, Chris. Thank you so much. Thank you.